Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is the podcast where we watch something, give you our thoughts after we've watched it. Uh, I am your host, John Garcia. Joining me, the usual suspects, Ryan King. Uh, I, I got to say this time, John, you usually find something I haven't heard of and it's questionable. You might find a, a gem here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in talking about this. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm also interested. Did you watch the same two-hour documentary about this that I did? I saw that they had that, and I kind of really wanted to watch it, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the cliff notes, but the rest of it's fun to watch. Um, and also joining us is Michael Dixon. Put this up your Royal Bavarian Strawberry Snatch. <laughs> 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 They're not going to let you in a Cold Stone Creamery anytime soon. <laughs> You're going to order like that. Oh, man. Uh, I had not heard that insult before and uh, had to write it down. So perfectly, just a, a beautiful line of dialogue <laughs> <laughs> delivered with such emotion. Um, yeah. And we are, we're talking about a movie that maybe not a lot of people have heard about. I don't really know. Um, it's something that my uncle showed me one time and I remembered it ever since and then decided are recently. We, are we still talking about movies, John? Are you, I need are to you okay? It, yes, I'm, I'm totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I did work it out in therapy as well, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the stunt man. Step right up, folks. Ride the ride of the century on Eli's killer crane. The Stuntman. A man on the run. The woman who had to know why. Who the hell are you? And the director who offered him a hiding place. You shall be a stuntman who is an actor, who is a character in a movie. Who is an enemy soldier? Who look for you amongst all those? The stunt man. In a world where nothing is what it seems, the hardest stunt is to hold on to reality. A 1980 movie directed by, not like 1980s movie, like it came out in 1980, everybody, um, directed by Richard Rush, who, fun fact, coined the term, or at least so he claims, and it's attributed to him, Rack Focus. Um, in, in partnership with his, one of the cinematographers he's worked with, he always was like, Oh, rack focus. I always thought about these racks you would swap and did this stuff. So apparently that's kind of where that term comes from. Yeah. He coined Um, the phrase, but he was talking about the scene in the whorehouse. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) of course. There were several racks in focus. Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, the stunt man is, um, a, a movie about a fugitive who, uh, stumbles onto a film set and doesn't know it accidentally causes a stunt driver to die um, because there's a lot of pressure from like the local authorities to shut down the production. The director of this film decides it's actually probably better if we just turn you the fugitive into um, a, a, a stunt man to replace him. And you'll just be this dude named Bert uh, and we'll have you go around and do fucking insane stunts. Um, and the entire movie is this, uh, it goes between like, is it reality or not? It tells it from, uh, the main character Cameron's perspective. So a lot of it is like swapping in and out of, uh, is this the movie or is this real life? What's happening? Um, and it becomes this interesting thriller that's mixed with like really darkly comedic moments. And, uh, Peter O'Toole is a fucking fantastic, uh, eclectic director with a Kubrick streak um, and uh, uh, Steve Railsback. Uh, gotta love that name. Who? 
uh, Steve Railsback, the uh, the man who played Charlie Manson in the Helter Skelter adaptation. That's where I recognized him from, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, as yeah. well as Barbara Hershey. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I picked this because... Like I said, it was a movie that I saw a long time ago. My uncle's a big into big into certain movies. He likes different kinds of like he likes some of the exploitation stuff and stunt stuff. And um, he one time he was like, "Hey, you want to see some shit? Here's this fucking movie, uh, The Stunt Man. I have the poster for it. I've got like the DVD. Let's watch it." And um, I just remember the entire time being like, "Holy fuck, this is wild!" Uh, just everything going on in it, and like Peter O'Toole's acting and. Uh, I it made him like an impression on me, but I did not seek it out until recently when I remembered like, oh, yeah, that was like the more that we've been watching stuff with Afterthoughts. It's just like been bubbling up. And I was like, oh, I want to watch something in John Wick four last year. Yeah. I, was, like, I fucking love stunt stuff. And uh, I, I just was like, I got to go back to it. So I brought you all with me. Uh, and um, yeah, I loved I love it. I, I love this movie. I thought it was great. It's a fun time. Steve Railsback is kind of the most questionable part of it for me. Uh, <laughs> everybody else is is really solid, and I'm still not sure how I feel about Steve Railsback. Um, but the the score has like kind of an earworm aspect to it. I've been humming it all day today just because I just can't get it out of my head, and um, I want to go back and watch it already. So um, I obviously really like it. The stunts are great. Uh, the set pieces are awesome. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that they did, um, uh, that was like really scrappy to pull it together. It took like nine, 10 years to make, and it's just a cool story behind it. Um, so I'm not going to try to unload all of that right now. We'll get into it as we talk through it. Uh, I want to get impressions. Um, Ryan, since you already expressed a lot of interest, I am going to just pass it to Dixon right now. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Dixon, what'd you think? Yeah, so John brought this over to my house last night on Blu-ray and we watched it. It was a Spanish Blu-ray, like from Spain, I believe. Yes. Uh, there is not a U.S. release. Profesion um, el especial. So there were Spanish and Portuguese <laughs> subtitle options, but no English subtitles. Yes. Um, so that was interesting. But thankfully, you know, it's it's an American movie, so there was English, English di- uh, audio there. But um, yeah, didn't really know what to expect, except it was called The Stuntman. I didn't do, look into it at all beforehand. I knew Peter O'Toole was in it, and that was kind of it. Um, I, I was assuming it was going to be schlockier than it was, because John picked it, and it was from 1980. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be like a credit. Death Promise level <laughs> production here. And I was kind of blown away by the production value and the stunts and I was like this movie must have cost a fucking fortune to make like I don't very interested to hear your fun facts from the documentary John about like budget and overruns and things like that because they have like so many helicopters and extras and explosions and all this stuff going on and like it's pretty crazy how they just like the movie is you know 50% action scenes and there's just like a lot of high budget that went into all of that. Um, the problem with the movie is that the 50% that is not action is very, very poorly written dialogue. Um, I, I did feel like I couldn't tell if there was like a different script writer that only wrote Peter O'Toole's dialogue and someone else <laughs> wrote the entire rest of the movie because I loved everything that Peter O'Toole said, but I don't know if that's just because he was fucking killing it and acting the shit out of that role and everybody else in the movie kind of sucked. But like Barbara Hershey is a really good actor and she couldn't do anything with that dialogue. It was bad, uh, just a bad script and, and she was struggling to make that work. Um, Steve Railsback 
is one of the worst actors that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I felt like that was just, <laughs> he was the massive void at the center of the film where like you needed a young charismatic guy that you could get behind and root for. And I just kept wanting Steve Rails back to fail because he just seemed like a shithead. And like, I, I was like rooting for Peter O'Toole's machinations because he was just a fun character and I wanted him on screen more and I wanted him to, you know, laugh deviously at all the things he was doing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, overall, I would say it was not a good movie, but it was an enjoyable watch, and Peter O'Toole is really fun in it. Um, liked him much more in this than I did in Lawrence of Arabia, which is a <laughs> terrible movie um, with high production values about uh, you know a white savior fi- helping all the Arabs with their problems who are Obi-Wan played by white brown people face. in brownface. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Alec Guinness in particular. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, Sir Alec Guinness. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think that's what got him knighted, actually, was, was the brown face. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a very weird experience overall as a movie. Um, I can't really think of much that I would compare it to. It's kind of its own thing. Um, but I enjoyed every second that Peter O'Toole was on screen and kind of hated every second that he wasn't on screen unless there were like explosions happening. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it was, it was all right. Um, Ryan, uh, what do you got for us? I this is a movie that's like impossible to pin down Uh what it is. Like that was really what fascinated me is like, it's funny. It's funny sometimes when it, probably isn't exactly supposed to be funny. The, a lot of the humor is really dark. The sort of like giant middle finger to Hollywood that the whole movie is. Yeah. Uh, while also making stunt work seem really cool and making Hollywood seem really uh-huh. cool. Like it was both the awful things that they will do to get a movie made and the cool shit they do to get a movie made, like all wrapped in one. Um, yeah, Peter O'Toole, fuck, dude. That was (laughs) something else. And I had the exact same thought where I was like, I wish he was known for this this role and not Uh Lawrence of Arabia um, because he's awesome. And I I think this is, yeah, you're like, is there another script writer? Uh, Yeah, Peter O'Toole is the other script writer. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he he just made up all the lines as he went. (laughs) He had to have been winging a lot of it and and drawing from his own work. um, Direct, You know, I, I saw a lot of like John Huston, uh, as yeah. is like the kind of asshole director knowing, you know, the, the, the stories. So I'm like, I think he drew from there and his own experiences with that. Um, the, yeah, the one, the movie within the movie, I have no fucking clue. This is like the same as, oh yeah. uh, what we were talking about with, uh, singing in the rain where you're like, what is the movie? <laughs> like, what is that experience of watching the actual movie that they're making? Uh, because it just seemed insane. It just the World War like One movie stunts. filmed in California. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and it was just like, how many crazy stunts can we do? Um, and then whatever shit the director will put his actors through to get something out of them, and then everyone just like brushes it off and rolls with it. So yeah, I agree that like everything other than the stunts and Peter O'Toole is pretty weak. Uh, but the movie is just sort of a head scratch of of like the why how how did this movie get made how did the, like how did the budget go into it what exactly did they want from it I can see why it kind of just got quietly released because I I think it, it it needed a better main actor like that's definitely a pretty strong weakness but mm-hmm. I think then the other part of it is like it's just saying fuck you to Hollywood as well so then it's kind of like I, I Hollywood doesn't like that kind of movie either yeah. <laughs> 
which was what a lot of that documentary was, was Richard Rush. That it, that two hours, it's called like the saga of making the stuntman or something like that. I can't remember. There's some negative connotation with it before that. And it's, it's Richard Rush. First of all, he put like, he spared no expense for the production value of this documentary. He puts fucking wipes in it. He's in like multiple frames where it's clearly different takes that he overlaid himself talking to himself uh, or queuing things up. Like, <laughs> wait, when he, you say he used wipes, did he do those wipes with the big like light shine? Like, they did that almost every cut in the first like quarter of he's the like, movie and then they yeah. just stopped doing yeah, it. Yeah, he's like the, the George Lucas of J.J. Abrams <laughs> like, <laughs> transitions. Um, yeah, like that. But but uh, uh yeah, apparently the studios just did not want this. Um Richard Rush his 2-hour documentary about the movie is basically just a recounting of how fucked Hollywood became in the 80s when like the turn of everything was happening. As mm. I mentioned earlier, it took like 10 years for this to get made. He had like uh already gotten Peter O'Toole signed on. He had Steve Rails back, I think from like Helter Skelter was 74. Railsback signed on then and then the movie was made in like 78 or 79 and then released in 80 um and like leading up to that it was initially the studio approached him and said like hey we have a book called the stuntman and we want you to adapt it and when he read the book he was like all right it's like good but i'm gonna do my own interpretation of it and i just won't take a lot from the book itself and then he made like this wild like he wanted it to be an anti-war film that had like a Vietnam vet that stumbled into the set. But because of the studio delays, um, Vietnam fell out of like any relevance by the time that the movie was able to be made. So he had to go back and rewrite it to have all of the moments in it that like everything that's in it is meta from his perspective. Like Peter O'Toole bitching about palm trees Uh was him bitching about palm trees because he was like, fuck man he's trying to shoot this world war one movie and they got fucking palm trees here what's this shit and then he was like oh it's not my problem it's the director eli's problem so like he's like peter o'toole it's your problem now and you have to bitch about these palm trees um but it's just so interesting like the more that i heard about it it just like kept building on itself and uh, it's really fascinating uh from that that aspect um but yeah i mean like uh I don't know. How did y'all get your grounding when you were watching it? So like the first time I saw this, I was also, I think like not as interested in rails back um, because mm-hmm. he, a lot of his dialogue, the dialogue doesn't help. I feel like rails back could be a good actor. We just, I don't know. I haven't seen him in any other thing. I haven't seen him as Charles Manson. I don't know how fucking wild he could be. I don't know. I feel like there's not a lot of talent to mine there. <laughs> I don't, when we kept talking about rails back and all I can think of is I just want my rails back <laughs> like the Tom Jane line for Red development I just want my kids back and so every time it came on screen I just kept thinking I just want my rails back and I was like is that a, is that a real name like is that this man's legal name that his mother gave him when he was born or is that like he's just an idiot who thought that that sounded like a cool action hero name when like in reality, it sounds really stupid, but like I could see that being like a <laughs> just, dumb, a dumb guy thinking, "Oh, this is gonna be my movie name, like Rails Back." Yeah, it's gonna be really cool. Yeah. But from what I heard, he didn't do like a lot of action movies. He mostly just did like fucking drama pieces and character work, which is weirder to be like, "I'm Steve Rails Back, and I'm here to <laughs> do my Rails I, yeah, Back. <laughs> I'm gonna do Marriage Story." <laughs> um, uh. 
but yeah, like, uh, how did how did y'all find your bearings watching it? Because yeah, Ryan, to your point, yeah. it's a lot of fucking things. That's actually one problem the studio had. They were like, we don't know what the fuck this movie is. How do we market this shit? It's not a mm-hmm. thriller. It's not comedy. It's not whatever. It's all of these things. The fuck. So yeah, it, it's at the beginning. It takes a bit to get to him actually kind of stumbling to the filming. So there's the chase at the beginning. We don't ever really find out what he did. Like he says at one point a couple different things and we kind of overhear one thing, but I guess we never really know what supposed crime he either committed or is or may 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 not have committed whatever. Um and the the car runs off the road and stuff like that. You're kind of just like following this and I, the whole time I'm sitting there being like was the stunt man like what? <laughs> what <laughs> right, there, I mean, right. there was we an interesting stunt. What crime but... he committed? Uh, he, you know, found a guy cheating on his wife in an ice cream parlor. Uh, <laughs> and that's what he says. Yeah. That's what he says. He, he tried to kill him, but it's cool because it was in an ice cream parlor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like it's, it, you know, you're not going to prosecute somebody for that. Yeah, um, his marriage was on yeah. a real rocky road. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it takes it takes him a bit then to actually get to watching the filming of a scene, and then I guess saving the actress that was all a little weird too. And I, I kind of all at that point, I'm like, the fuck is going on? Like, where are we going with this movie? And then it kind of gets into the actual plot of like, oh well, we'll just have you be in this to you know take over the role. And I was like, okay, I get it. And I think when we had our first like big stunt film with him. Yeah, that was when I was kind of like, okay, because the stunt, the stunts in that sort of first scene we see, which is like a beach bombing, are pretty good, but they're kind of the classical like, you know, some things explode and squibs go off and guys jump and fall mm-hmm. and whatnot. There is that like reveal where the the crowd like freaks out. That scene, I lost my mind watching <laughs> that scene. <laughs> yeah, I was, again, I'm still like on my toes. Like, I'm like, I don't understand yeah, like where this is going, what, what, and then when it gets into the, just the action and the fucking stunt work in this, that one dude like breaks his leg straight up on screen. But uh, there are so many other times <laughs> yeah. I saw shit where I was like, those that cannot have gone well. Mm-hmm. Um, that so many people just threw themselves out for, for this stunt. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm into it. Let's keep going. The stunts are crazy. Uh, we have, we have to talk about that, that scene where like the, the first scene <laughs> on the movie set. So we go from like this rails back is on the run. We don't really know what's going on. All of a sudden, we find ourselves on this movie set, and there's a big crowd watching them film this this war scene, and it's like, you know, soldiers charging the beach and fighting and shooting each other, and like, you know, soldiers getting shot and bleeding and falling on the, the beach, and you see an overhead shot of like limbs missing and heads exploded and all this stuff. And the crowd is like, Oh my God, someone call an ambulance. What are we doing here? This is a massacre. And then they're like cut. And then the people just like stand up and like, you know, brush themselves off and, and, you know, pick up their prosthetic leg that's laying there next to them. And like, people are like, Oh, Oh, okay. This isn't real. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I turned to John. I was like, are we expected to believe that like this all happened in one cohesive event where like (laughs) they didn't like stop and go put makeup on the guys after they were like fake shot and then like give them like a mask and a fake leg and stuff. No, this all happened in one single take that have like exploding makeup charges in their faces. Like what the (laughs) fuck is going on here where this crowd would actually believe that this was real. Like I was, I was, 
just like, what the fuck? It was is fucking this? wild. It's just yeah, like, like bad storytelling. How fast can you be? Well, I mean, it's necessary storytelling in this movie's example. I mean, it's it's. We don't have to have the amazed crowd. Like yeah. that was like I was like, what is going on? Come on. Well, I think that that's where like I don't know. It becomes this like you're very much like okay, that's not the the reality of the situation. There's no fucking way that a dude could bury his head into fucking sand in that fast of time that the explosions happen. Uh, but from like a uh, like a metaphorical like oh we're trying to do like a perspective thing where this is like now you're in the movie and now you're not and like trying to know when things are real and when things aren't because it sets up like for later basically they do that well later in the movie yeah yeah and i think that this is one of those where it's like you very obviously are like that's that's fucking bullshit there's no way this could happen and the crowd Uh. is like (laughs) really selling it and then they're just like oh oh yeah of course and like one dude even is like I wish they wouldn't use so much blood. It really ruins the realism of it. Like, just like lamenting. Yeah. When he was at war, he didn't see any blood. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's super unrealistic. People get shot and they just fall over and die. And, and you know, the, the blood just kind of stays inside. I love that dude saying that right next to a uh, Railsback, who's supposed to be a Vietnam veteran, yeah. which I was just like, that's an interesting critique. There's some really good moments where it's just like, oh, wow, it's like stabbing hard at like consumerism of cinema in the time and like armchair critics and uh, all that. Like yeah. with yeah. the quote later when they're like, oh, a film came out in like a small town. Anti-war film came out in a small town. Oh, and yeah. Then it like, you and know, it's like a 500 percent increase in enlistment in <laughs> yeah, that town. Yeah. Like, that's actually really smart. Like that's a, an interesting concept to make a movie about and but they they didn't really dwell on that for very long they kind of moved on but yeah but but here it's like sprinkling that illusion of like well you know we all know that the movies are the movies and they're not made this way but like what if people thought they were and what if they that's like plays into how the movie then starts fucking with perception later um but i do love that scene because like uh chuck the the like stunt coordinator comes out and he's like they they have like everything written out in dialogue to explain it away he's like well Eli said he wanted this in one take you think you fucking got it because we're gonna come back and have to do it six more times or some shit I was like so they all do know that this I guess in this world it can be done <laughs> in yeah. some weird yeah wild way but yeah I think there was a bit of like trying and this this is kind of where again rails back fails i think part fails of the aspect back. of the movie <laughs> yeah fails back there we go <laughs> fails back he he's supposed to get kind of drawn in and enamored with hollywood and his potential like his feeling of stardom maybe or you know his moment and his you know what he what he's getting drawn into it even though he's in danger right because almost immediately the cop is right back on him yeah um you know and a couple of times the cops keep coming back by but then he doesn't sell that well. Like we don't get that well. No. And then I think the other part of like he's supposed to also be so kind of charismatic that he falls into this and he wins over the lead actress and he is needed and he somehow Eli gets obsessed with what he can get out of him. That that at some points I'm like, did the main actor that he's supposed to be the stuntman do any fucking thing? Like, cause yeah. we just see Didn't everything like with it. him. Even yeah, he was never like swapping in for him. It was just scenes right. with rails back the whole way, and they're like, you need to be able to show emotion for blah blah blah. I'm like, he's the fucking stuntman. What does yeah. he need to show? Yeah, emotion we don't even need for? to see his face. Yeah. So yeah, I think those parts are where it, the idea is there, but it just didn't land. That. Yeah. Railsback in um, every scene, the only emotion he portrays the entire movie is shit. What's my next line? Like that seems <laughs> right, to be yeah. what the emotion that he's experiencing at all times. He has like, and I feel like he's going for that like dis disconnected vet 
kind of thing. Yeah. And it's it not it's not quite there. This isn't the deer hunter. No. Um it, now when he gets like loses his shit and starts cracking stuff up, like it's working enough. When yeah, but I was unhinged. like, I don't think he Yeah, like, then then it, it's okay. Can, yeah, it's one of those things where he just like he can either scream or he's kind of there and just like aloof to whatever. Like at any moment that he was confident felt weird. When he yeah. got like confident uh, about like what is it when the dude's showing him how to do stunts and he's like okie dokie I was like that's a fucking weird take that like, stunt <laughs> trainer guy was yeah. so weird just like a jovial old country boy that like seems too old for that job but it just yeah yeah like, he, he was pretty funny it's great he's the actual stunt coordinator for the whole movie too so it's yeah. just oh, like every, they used everybody that they could to do and it was like it's funny too a little behind the scenes stuff Richard Rush apparently has no self awareness when he's on set like he will wander into traffic in the middle of trying to direct a shot okay. because he's just like in the moment. And the, the, the stunt guy was being interviewed and he was like, yeah, sometimes like be mean if we're close enough to where now I know I have to stand next to him and grab his fucking belt to like keep him from going places. <laughs> and then at one point Get in the, the movie, on a leash. <laughs> yeah, at that one point, like one point in the movie, uh, Peter O'Toole steps out almost near an airplane in a very similar manner <laughs> And the stunt dude reflexively grabs Peter O'Toole by the belt and pulls him in. And it's on camera, like, seeing that. Uh, he was like, yeah, I just, like, lost myself. I was like, he's he's just Richard. He's doing the exact same shit. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm fucking wild. Uh, I love that stunt guy. He's, he's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that he's was awesome. awesome. He has such a nonchalant attitude. It's just, he, it doesn't feel fitting for that type of job, but it's, it's, it's funny He's so me. cool about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> just everything that's, he's like, yeah, you're going to fall over here and you fucking die if you do anything wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> fucking queue up. Oh, man. I, I asked John this last night. I'm, I'm curious to hear both of you. I don't, John, I don't think you answered me. I, I give an answer, but John, don't give away my answer on okay. this. But, uh, if you could replace Steve Rails back in this movie with a young actor in 1980, who would it be? Yeah, I was trying to think about that. There's kind of some like obvious, like Steve McQueen. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could see that. McQueen um, may have been a little I, old in 80. But yeah, I was like, he's he was probably a little old. Yeah. But I, I yeah, so I'm trying to think of like who would have been a good, and it would be good if it was like an up and comer mm-hmm. in uh-huh. 80 that could have fit into that role. But yeah, it, it needs to be somebody that is that like you can get. That they're corner. charismatic, but you can also get that they're like cold and detached. Yeah. Uh, enough. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, like Jack Nicholson. Would yeah. Work which too, Richard, right? He would have been a little old then, too. Is that was 80 was when The Shining came out. He was like 40. Yeah. Again. That, yeah. So probably a little old as well. My my pick was Al Pacino when he was doing like that rant about the ice cream parlor and stuff and losing <laughs> yeah, that his was, mind. Yeah. I was like, I need Al Pacino to say that dialogue. Like, that would be hilarious. And I feel like that would be an interesting transition from like 70s serious actor Pacino into like insane, you know, Scarface and beyond Pacino where mm-hmm. he just like yells crazy shit and like kind of became a different actor at that point. Um, I would have loved to see an Al Pacino in that role. <laughs> I, I messaged uh, John the other day and said I wanted to see Al Pacino as Vince McMahon in it whenever they get oh, into the like, wrestling. He would be amazing, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, fucking shorts to a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah i i think my if i had to pick i mean it's so easy to go with de niro and just say de niro would be fucking great he would be he would he i think he could channel that like intensity Mm. really well um really tempted to say i'd like to see sylvester stallone try it 
Um, yeah. I feel like that could work. I don't, I've never really seen, I don't think I've seen Stallone be like, like angry, jealous, angry. I don't remember a movie that he's done that, that I've, I've really watched it. I've seen him be like, you know, action hero, angry and that kind of shit. Uh-huh. But it'd be interesting to get that range to have him be in there. Um, it would definitely be much better with Stallone in it. Than with, yeah. With yeah. yeah. Back for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that those are kind of my two. If it was like, you know, four years later or like, you know, six years later, like in the, in the mid eighties or something like a eh, young Nick Cage would be really nice. To, oh, yeah, that uh, would be, seen, you know? that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cage doing the ice cream parlor rant would also be that's wonderful. That is very a very Cage thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> might as well just do the alphabet. Well, he would have flavors. that. That's a good example of that balance of being able to be enigmatic enough, charismatic enough to, to see why Eli would bring him onto the set and why he would kind of be, you know, what what can I do and, and kind of bring him along, why the actress would be into him, you know, why everyone kind of tolerates all of it, mm-hmm. uh, but then yeah, also the times he needs to just go off, and the and the like, someone who would be crazy enough to keep doing these stunts, yeah, where every single time they think that they're gonna be killed or that they're being fucked with or uh-huh. like to keep going, yeah, it, it's like you have to have that that balance. Yeah, that was like um, Ryan. I don't know if you looked up the trivia of like who else was on the roster potentially that could have played these roles. Uh, but like, ooh, a young Willem Dafoe would have been great. Oh yeah, Willem Dafoe would have yeah. been great. You yeah. know, Kurt Russell would have been pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, Kurt Russell. I can definitely yeah. see that yeah. being there. But yeah, I, I know there was like at one point supposedly Sean Connery was interested in being the director, and okay. they were gonna Amazing. get like. Um, Jeff Bridges to be like the escaped uh, ex-con or whatever. The the, the big big improvement on Rails back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just like, oh, okay, that's that's pretty interesting. And then like in another one, it was I think like Martin Sheen. Was it Michael Sheen? Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Michael Sheen's the British guy. Martin. That's right. Yeah. Not Michael yeah. Sheen. Not mm-hmm. the not that guy. Uh, it was going to be George C. Scott and Sheen. <laughs> Oh, it would have been. I would pay to see that movie. Um, I don't know that anyone could be better than Peter O'Toole was in this movie. He was so good, but like, yeah. holy shit, George C. Scott, that would be, yeah, that'd be I wild. Would have absolutely fucking loved. It. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like, I don't even know how he would play. I've never seen George C. Scott do an eccentric. Like, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I, I've seen do the eccentric kind of Dr. director. That, yeah, yeah, but he's like he's enthusiastic and he's like wild and he's like boyish. Like, whereas yeah. Peter O'Toole's is like uh, it's a menacing. Uh, the way that the director's written, it, it is very much like. He's like a, a he's like an evil yeah. god character. Like yeah. I love when he'll just descend into frame on that crane thing <laughs> yes. in the background. Like yes. he's just ever present, always watching in every scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think the like two scenes I can point to for O'Toole where it's it's not just the like over the top per se. Mm-hmm. At the dinner, like the first time they're having a dinner and like everybody is there, right? And Eli's like at the front of the table and they're talking about things. And he says something about like if the movie if they don't if reject his script or they try to cut his scenes, he's like, "Well, I'll just I'll murder him." Well, they won't cut my scenes, Ham. No. What makes you so special? Because they know that if they touch my film, I'll kill them. You mean Bane? Kill them just like that? No. I'll kill them, and then I'll eat them. <laughs> it's disgusting. Waste not. Want not. 
And he says it so just like plainly and everyone around the table is just kind of like, ah, and he's like, no, I'll fucking kill him and I'll eat him. <laughs> and then he, and then they just move on because they're like, it's Eli. Like we've got, you yeah. know, uh. right. And he says it so flatly and you can see at the same time that Cameron's character is like, is he, how serious is he? Like, I can't tell how am I supposed to react to a statement like that? Um, and then, yeah, later when he's, uh, they're they're showing the dailies mm-hmm. to the actress's mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> the family shit. is there. Oh my god! Yeah, and he just lets the like the nude scene just keep rolling that he probably pretty obviously put in there, mm-hmm. right? To do exactly that to fuck with her. And again, just the like calm, collected, like no, just keep it going. Yeah, no, it's all right. Like he said, it would cause bigger trouble, Ryan, if he stopped it. Yeah, it's too hard to <laughs> stop it. Let's just keep going. Yeah, and it's that like calm insanity yeah. that's also there. But then he can like flip on a dime because the other, the one quote that I really fucking love from Peter O'Toole is when they call cut in the middle of that big scene where the guy's like, he doesn't call cut. The fucking camera operator calls cut and it's like, there's 30 feet of film left. And he's like, that's Mm. 22 seconds. And then he's just like, in 22 seconds, I could break your fucking spine. (laughs) In 22 seconds, I could pinch your fucking head off. I could shoot you with 22 bullets. It's so fucking intense. Uh. Like, just watching that one person get chewed out <laughs> in front of everybody else. Who's that cut? I had a film run out. How many feet of film are left in that camera, Gabe? 33. God damn your fucking eyes. How dare you yell cut on my set? Well, what the hell, Eli? 33 feet is nothing. It is 22 seconds, Henry. In 22 seconds, I could break your fucking spine. In 22 seconds, I could pinch your head off like a fucking insect and spin it all over the fucking pavement. In 22 seconds, I could put 22 bullets inside your ridiculous gut. What I seem unable to do in 22 seconds is to keep you from fucking up my film. And it, it like, perfectly balances the character. You're like, oh, I, I know who this is. They can be that violent at any point. They're also very casual about how violent they could be. Um, and it, it just, it makes him so unhinged, and it really helps sell the fact that, like, he may kill Cameron by the end of the movie. Like, he mm-hmm. may actively be trying to do it. Um, By the way, had no idea his name was Cameron the entire movie until the credits rolled. And I was like, wait a minute, Steve Railsback's character was named Cameron? Where the <laughs> fuck did that come from? He's called Bert the whole fucking time. I know that's not his real name. But He's like, also called Lucky. <laughs> yeah. like they, yeah. I don't think they ever call him Cameron a single time. <laughs> he he calls himself that, Cameron like once. And that's like... <laughs> yeah, kind of at the beginning. Yeah, that was one kind of weird choice. They do that at the beginning. And then like the cop mentions it a couple times. And then the whole like setup at the end, he takes off because he thinks the guy saying camera on mm-hmm. is Cameron. And oh, he's so like, I didn't even recognized. That. Right. And uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, well, how are we fucking supposed to remember two hours ago, one time this guy's <laughs> yeah. name was mentioned Cameron, right? Like it was like, that's not a good payoff. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, also the ending of the movie where, okay, by the way, if you're listening this far, you still haven't fucking see it. Just go watch it like once. Right. I mean, yeah. can we get a consensus on this? It, I feel it's, like it's, it's worth just the uh, right bonkers. Yeah. yeah. It's worth like yeah. a single watch. And then, you know, however you feel about it is how you feel about mm-hmm. it. But just when Peter O'Toole's not on screen, just fast forward until, until he gets on screen again. <laughs> or the explosions and stunts <laughs> explosions. Are happening. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. People jumping off. If roofs. Steve Railsback is talking fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, but, but like, there's that whole last sequence where like the Barbara Hershey hides in the trunk of the car. And I was like, she's fucking dead. If she's still in that trunk, when this happens, 
she hasn't eaten in like eight hours and she fucking suffocated. <laughs> <laughs> like she's she covered shit, in her own piss. Fucking shit herself. <laughs> like whatever <laughs> else happened. Yeah. Sorry. Barbara Hershey swimming in the chocolate. Uh, and like, um, yeah. So I was just like, oh, there's no way. But in, in the, in the heat of him running away, I also kind of forgot and was like, oh fuck, he thinks it's real. So like shit, I don't right. know. Um, and those are those moments where like, I think Railsback does work, but only in the moments where it's like the most intense shit's happening. I can like buy that he's panicking genuinely and that like certain things happen. Uh, but like outside of that, no, like when he does the quiet drum dramatic moments, when he's tearing down the paint cans uh-huh. in that fucking room, <laughs> um, it's like, Oh, this is, this is such melodrama <laughs> and it's, it's fucking wild. But uh, yeah, it really is like in the middle of the stunts when he needs to look frantic, like he sells really well. Like there's that other sequence with the tower where the stunt guy pops out of nowhere and punches him in the face with like the butt of a gun. Uh-huh. And then he like throws him over and he's like panicking because you're as an audience, you're like, holy fuck, did he just kill that stunt dude? <laughs> um, and then you look down and you see the fucking uh, big bag that he got caught in and he's smoking a cigarette. Just like, yeah, what are you fucking doing? Move along. <laughs> That's really the best thing this movie does is like that sequence in particular is very well done. But, you know, like they they throw rails back into these situations where they tell him that one thing is going to happen as a stuntman and then they do something different and it freaks him out and it makes him think that everything's going wrong or that he's in danger for his life. And it's, you know, Peter O'Toole's like, well, I needed to get the emotion, you know, it's like, again, like, what, what are you fucking talking about? He's a stuntman. You need to plan this shit out like he's going to get hurt. <laughs> but like the the movie puts you in the shoes of the stuntman who doesn't know what's happening right and it's like you're unsure if what's happening is actually being filmed if it's part of the movie if it's something else happening outside of that and they kind of reveal as the scene goes along that you know hey it is part of the movie it's being filmed they're kind of playing a trick on this guy but the way that it's edited and unfolds is super well done where you don't really know where you are you're talking about how did you feel grounded in this movie i think my answer is basically like i didn't like yeah. uh it was kind of all over the place and that's not necessarily a bad thing but the the movie takes advantage of the audience's ignorance in these situations and plays on that in a really interesting way yeah like that's and and on top of that it's like it is great stunts in the moment too so there's the yeah and that's the whole rooftop thing like fucking bodies falling everywhere Just dudes falling mm-hmm. over each other and like yeah that one dude who falls on his nuts that's a real stunt. yes oh, yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like guys falling into it off and bumping into each other as they're falling through the air like there's shit there's like the, that that hurts yeah and then he falls through a glass uh you know like skylight to a bed and there's two people in it who dive out of the way at the last second mm-hmm. that they was like they didn't tell him about that he didn't know that there were going to be people there so he's like legit freaked out when he lands that he thought he was going <laughs> to nail those people. Uh, but it, like, even if you just step away and you're like, still fucking awesome stunt. Like it is. At, and yeah. they did it anyway. Right. Like the it's a stunt that freaked him out, but it's also a real stunt that they fucking did for the movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Part of the documentary that I watched, a lot of the actors and crew that were interviewed said that like, um, they basically would just push for Richard Rush to tweak the scenes before anything happened, similar to like what Eli was doing. So there became, there's a really cool meta where like both directors are basically doing the same thing throughout the movie as it's made. And it's kind of wild to think about that being sort of the reactive premise of it. And like even the stunt coordinator, Chuck, the, our favorite uh, Southern dude 
was basically like, yeah, and I would um, I would shit on the stunts that he did. I would shit on the things that he did to motivate him. <laughs> and so he would be like, oh, come on, Richard, what are we fucking doing here? Like they do this shit on TV for children or whatever. <laughs> Just say yeah. shit like that. And was actively like fucking trolling him to get uh, to get Richard Rush to do bigger things and go with it. Fine, we'll throw him through a skylight onto a couple having sex. Is that what you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the shot at the beginning that that's... So the beach scene, some of this is filmed in La Jolla, which is a beach on San Diego. It's it's, you know, it's relatively recognizable in those shots that they have. And apparently, uh, that one thing that I looked at in the trivia, they couldn't secure the rights to fly the biplane yes. by the beach. Yes. So... They just instead got the rights for the Air Force the to use the air landing strip or whatever that's at the military base that's like north, further north of San Diego. Yep. And then the guy was just like, oh, I'm having radio trouble. Oh, shit. And then he just uh, flew to La Jolla. Yep. And then they just went ahead and filmed it. Yeah. <laughs> took several amazing. passes by. And then he went back and I was like, okay, they were legitimately doing this like the way it is in the movie where they're just like, fuck the rules, kind of fuck the safety. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just see what we can get away with. It's, Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fucking bonkers. And uh, that story is told in the documentary, Ryan, while Richard Rush is flying a fucking plane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, he just gets into a plane, casually starts it up, and is telling you all about how they flew over this thing. And he was like, yeah. And then, you know, Chuck just conveniently lost radio contact with uh, the airbase nearby. And uh, I just happened to be shooting there with five cameras. <laughs> yeah. uh, got like, we, we, it just all worked out somehow. How. <laughs> is he having to shout this conversation while flying this plane? Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just like so much impressive scrappiness to it. And uh, coming from like watching, um, I still haven't seen Stunt Rock, but it's really interesting because another piece of the story is while he was trying to make the adaptation, um, he he wrote the script the it, basically the same way that it comes out, uh, and he gave it to a studio, and he was like, "Hey, what if we make this?" Because he had made a camera, which it's a movie about two cops, uh, like Freddie and the Bean or some shit. I don't know, <laughs> and uh, it, it was like really popular because there were two dirty cops, and they were doing some fucked up shit, and it was like really tense. And uh, apparently, Peter O'Toole fucking loved that movie, and that was how he kind of got mm. into to wanting to to work with Richard Rush, but. He made that like one for them movie like uh, Marty does. And then uh, the studio was like, all right, like you can make a movie if you want to another movie. He was like, hey, how about the the stuntman? And they're like, yeah, any movie, but that movie, not that fucking movie. And so <laughs> he just went on to like make more movies for them. And with the promise that maybe he would get to do it, like Hollywood fucking him over for like a, a 10 years, basically. Man. Um, and he, halfway through that, he also was like, they were like, we like the action in your movie. We just don't like everything else. And they would give bullshit excuses. Like it, re <laughs> it reveals too much about how Hollywood works. Uh, it like does, it has these comments on, you know, the whole process that seem like they're in whatever bad faith or some shit. They give them those excuses. Um, and then they, they had the audacity to call him and say, Hey, do you mind if we use the title for another movie we're making where they basically wow. were making, they took his script, butchered it, and then we're going to make a movie. And we're like, can we just call it that? And he's like, fuck you, no. And they tried to sue him uh, over it. Wow. And he won because he had the rights for the adaptation and he had direct like final cut in his contract for whenever the movie gets made. Um, but they ended up making another movie called Hooper. And when Stuntman came out, that got pitted against it. 
as a comparative like don't you just think that you're making derivative work aren't you just making hooper he got fucking bombarded with that shit for this movie they did him fucking dirty it was yeah it was it's a it was a harrowing tale it's like holy shit man so many actors went to bat for him damn yeah Uh, Uh how much did this movie cost like just production how i mean it's i think it's listed as being like 3.5 million that's it yeah and it made i think 8 million something like that holy shit this movie made money this movie made money and that was the other part was (laughs) how did it not cost like 50 million dollars like there's just so much going on there's so many explosions so many extras like I, I, maybe they use non-union labor. I don't know. How do they, how do they, hey, get, man. How do they get it done at three and a half? Uh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, like college semesters cost like what? Like four grand back then or not four grand. Like oh, one, one grand, that. like well, $150. Right, yeah. bucks, yeah. <laughs> well, how much could a banana really cost, Michael? $10? <laughs> 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 You've clearly never said foot no supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it had to be just like that budget was good enough back then to do this kind of wild shit. And when you look at it, this is very close to the schlock that I would watch. Like, I feel like the other schlock that I have seen, they have like explosions for two thirds of the latter half of the movie, probably. And like shitty dialogue and whatever else. So I'm like, hmm. I mean, it kind of checks out to me. That seems like a friendly budget. Um, yeah. The uh, Well, in the rush worked on exploitation films yes for a while before so he kind of so knew how to stretch a dollar yeah yeah and uh and how to get the really dangerous stunt guys and the people that don't give a fuck about <laughs> what they're doing to make your movie and funnily enough the uh director pseudonym he worked under when he did those exploitation films was eli cross the uh character hey. name for peter o'toole okay so it all ties together nicely uh it was very reflective um yeah, like uh, th- that was the other thing was um, not only did it cost like it's like he managed the money really well. I feel like for what he achieved, mm-hmm. um, but he had like a distributor signed on that fucking actively hated it, and so he started like a grassroots campaign to get it released, um, where he went to like city after city, basically contacted their um, their like local critic who is well known had them come out and watch the movie. They would write a glowing review for how fucking awesome it was. And then like rinse, repeat city by city to prove things. And the studio just vehemently would not accept any of that. Like he talked about going to Seattle and how like he won over a lot of audiences in Seattle and that the studio was like, Oh, well that's cause Seattle's crazy. They're just full of crazy people who don't know <laughs> what they want. And like, he just couldn't get a screening in LA and the critics in LA were fucking dicks about it. So it was just like fascinating to me that even a distributor that's like, Hey, I'm signed on to make money was like, fuck this movie. I'm going to try to bury it. <laughs> it's like, actually, if it does well in Seattle, that means it's going to do horrible everywhere else. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. They hated it in Seattle. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> went and saw it. Yeah. Um, I will say I, I wouldn't know how to promote this movie. Mm-hmm. Like what? Like the trailer, I guess, would just be. I would just straight up just fucking show cool stunts and then just, just show like, explosions. The stunt man, and that would be it. Yeah. I wouldn't even go. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't even fucking do anything else. Don't ever uh, show Steve Rails back. Just show the explosions yeah, and show Peter O'Toole. And Peter O'Toole yelling shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Peter O'Toole ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award for this. Wait, that seriously? He, he fucking nailed yes. it. Oh, so my God. That's amazing. No <laughs> so he, the fact that this, like... He was so good at it, yeah. Yeah, like, practically didn't come out, and it got that. But it was also, like, nominated for Razzie's, like... Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. right? Because it I really bet. is a movie that does both things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does It does both. <laughs> it gets you a movie that can do both. 
Yeah. I, I love it too because like there's a lot of fucking passive aggressive shit about Peter O'Toole when you read like the reviews. One of the reviewers was like, it's not even really passive aggressive, it's just a dick about it. He's like, this is like the best thing Peter O'Toole's done in a long time. <laughs> Some shit. I was like, <laughs> holy fuck. Why didn't you just write that in printed word? That's so fucked up. Um, but then again, maybe they were like, yeah, fuck Lawrence Arabia, in which case I can't argue. Uh, <laughs> Could be, I would imagine that that critic probably loved Lawrence of Arabia and is just yeah, like, he hasn't done anything is. good since then. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the, the, there's just so much about it that I'm like fascinated that it came to be the way that it was. And like, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty wild. Yeah. And the cinematography in it too is really fucking solid. Like, yeah, some it's cool well shots. shot. It's really well edited. Like it's, it's got some very good aspects to it. it it makes me think because the more that i hear the actors talk about him when i watch the documentary and the more that everybody talks about everybody in that movie it just sounded like a good crew of people who had a good time doing it and i think that that energy just translates so well into like it made the filmmaking more fun the stunt people wanted to do crazier shit like it just fueled everything and uh it sounds like richard rush is really like an actor's director and like a stunt crew's director and just like a, a i don't know a people's director in hmm. some way so it, he was pretty relatable in the documentary and i was like i would work for this guy he seems cool he seems a little bit like definitely he grandstands a lot and there's a lot of soapboxing shit that he does uh in the the thing but he has this great rant about how like the stuntman became to him it was he wanted to stick that middle finger to uh to fucking hollywood because he was like they're not greedy anymore they're just corporate politics now and like the the greed is no longer the main thing that you can use to drive a conversation to get your art made mm. where he was like you could make a movie and say hey i'm gonna make a fucking great movie and it's gonna do so much for you and then you're gonna get like all these back this like fucking money coming at you um just let me do the thing uh and he was like yeah they just go for sequels now like they just care about the wrapper you put around the hamburger and they don't give a shit about the hamburger itself and uh, i was like yeah damn um so yeah the two-hour documentary is also richard rush's grandstand uh mr smith goes to washington indictment of hollywood (laughs) and i enjoyed that too (laughs) i think i mentioned this on the podcast once before but i saw an interview with samuel fuller where you know he had said like you know it used to be that like the people that ran the studios actually liked movies and they weren't just like suits from the east coast they like got into the business because they like making movies and like you could take a script into the studio and talk to an executive about it and they would like act out scenes with you and like actually figure out okay yeah how brainstorm okay this is some good stuff here how do we get this into a movie that makes sense and like now it's like you can't do that and there are these directors like sam fuller and uh richard rush that like could just kind of got pushed out of hollywood because they were trying to make new interesting things and like it just turned into a financial business like financial not being obviously every business financial but like a financialized wall street business like everything else where it's like the people running it only care about returns and and uh stock price and shit which is it's just you know it's that's where every business every industry is gone and you know we could sit here and rant about that for hours but uh, absolutely yeah yeah. Um, yeah, i think about singing in the rain right they come in mm -hmm. and then the guy he even admits he's like i don't really know about movies he checks in every so often but he does work with them when they're like coming up with the idea and coming up with the title and all that yeah. and, and i think about it today and that guy would see that preview of the movie and then he, when they come in they're like oh we can fix it we're gonna do this he'd be like fuck it tax write-off and then they would just move on it would never happen right yeah. like 
we don't need it. Never mind. Did, New you movie. Know, it, Let's move forward. Like really, one really fucking cool thing. Railsback, uh, not Railsback. Sorry, that, that Richard Rush did. Sorry, Railsback. You didn't do anything cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one more Yeah. <laughs> uh, one really cool thing that Richard Rush did to make a point because he, um, one, his distributor threatened to uh, revoke his right to um, to director to Final Cut. They, they threatened to revoke it. They were going to nullify it because they hated his film and wanted to bury it. And when he ran his counter campaign in Seattle, they sent him a cease and desist and said that he was violating his contract. We're going to remove Final Cut. You um, promoted it with unauthorized ads. Uh, and so they were just like, we're going to take that. And then mm. like the whole um, fucking like. How I dare guess, you advertise for this movie that we own the rights yeah. to? Yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Make us money? <laughs> and so like. Uh, he, he had this whole, that whole groundswell from the way that he ran that campaign actually thwarted the, the business that was trying to sink him where they were just like, well, fuck too many people like, like it. And there's too much of this reaction. And he was like, I'm going to go to the press. If you send me that fucking legal letter and I'm going to wave it in their face and tell you what you did, like tell them what you did, or you can, you can fucking kick back and enjoy this viral marketing basically. Um, but he also in one of his first screenings with producers, cause the studio kept saying that they didn't like it. He, um, he really flaunted final cut. He brought a guy in to be like a stunt coordinated uh, prop for the scene. He stood in front of the screening and the guy said, Hey, we only brought like, uh, we, we, get, we got it down from seven reels to six, Richard. And he was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, you know, like we, we, we cut a few reels out. So like we could, you know, get the thing moving along according to the execs. And he pulled out a gun and shot the man ah. like seven times and squibs <laughs> exploded like blood all over these executives. And then he just went, yeah, that's what, that's what happens when you fuck with my movie. And he like walked off and just like, was like, roll the movie. And then they played it. And he was like, yeah, we had like blood on these walls for like years after that. They did not clean it off. I'm picturing <laughs> I like blood like, spatter on the screen. Yeah. Like, yeah. As they're projecting the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, but yeah, I was just like, that's a fucking, that, that dude's got brass balls. <laughs> walk in there and pull that shit and walk yeah, out. It sounds insane. awesome. <laughs> that's funny. So, we what there's one character that we haven't talked about that we absolutely have to talk about, and that is the screenwriter. Oh, um, uh, yes, that is like, like the character <laughs> of the screenwriter in the movie who is Peter O'Toole's best friend, allegedly. But Peter O'Toole seems to despise him, and mm. you know, he wants to, he like hates the guy's script, and he's always trying to rework it and get rid of scenes that the screenwriter loves. And <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, we got to get it rid of this scene, he's not work, it's not working, and, and the screenwriter's like. You know, when I wrote that scene, my oldest son stood up and shook my hand. That's the only time in his life he's ever done that. <laughs> and you want to remove it from the movie. Yeah. And he, he does that other thing where he's like, oh, it's it's not working. The scene's fucking shit. Uh, who the fuck called me in the middle of the night saying that this is the best fucking thing that they've ever read and they want to do this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's great. Uh, fucking uh, the character name is Sam. And he is just constantly having to go back to the drawing board for whatever <laughs> that that Peter O'Toole decides he needs to rewrite. And they just insert him into scenes 
kind of for no reason except to like have a character there to have things bounce off of like there's a scene with Barbara Hershey and Rails back like in yeah. one of their bedrooms <laughs> and they're like flirting with each other and kind of getting intimate and they have a fight and Barbara <laughs> Hershey leaves and the screenwriter is just sitting there working on the next day's scenes I guess and then he like you know turns to Rails back he's like let me give you some advice son you know as Peter O'Toole's best friend in the world uh let me tell you about Barbara Hershey and his attachment to her. It's like, what, what is even happening right now? This is just such a strange yeah. scene and <laughs> yeah. a group of characters that, together. That fucking conversation when he's like, you're telling me that they, that they fucked once. And he's like, no, they fucked twice just to be sure. Like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, they had such connection, but the sex was terrible. So they just <laughs> gave up and never tried again. Fucking uh, wild. Yeah. I, I love that character. He's just always like, in a fit of anxiety about how things and we didn't even mention that he brought that fucking bear statue. Oh, I was you waiting to get to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, there's this wonderful scene where he like comes into O'Toole and interrupts him like while they're filming a scene. He's like, hey, I think I have an idea. So yeah, what about amazing. Yeah. instead of Barbara Hershey bringing flowers to the like lead actor that seems to not be in the movie is just played by the stuntman. Yeah. Um, like, what if she brings something more intimate like, you know, something that means something from their past relationship like maybe her robe or her panties. And, you know, it's like, it seems like it's just going to be like, the okay, this is, you know, going to be kind of dumb. And he's like, well, what about this? And he just pulls out this statue of a girl, a little girl on a swing and a bear that is fucking her. <laughs> and it's just, I, I was like, I turned to John. I was like, I need that. I need that statue. <laughs> I don't know where I can find one. But I need that. If they ever, if Kino Lorber ever does a 4K of this or Vinegar Syndrome <laughs> or something, I would love it if they sold a replica of that oh, in like a yeah. collector's yes. edition. I'd fucking buy that. Uh-huh. Yeah, the like $150 collector's edition that yes. comes with the bear fucking statue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I immediately was like, wow, never seen a bear fucker statue in, in real life, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Like some, somebody makes a comment about it later too, where they're like, oh man, that bear really wants it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And somebody's like, I think the pro- producer or somebody's like, are you serious? So the O'Toole is like, you're really going to put that bear fucking statue in your movie? Like, this is so stupid and absurd. And he's like, that's my fucking movie. I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. Puts it in there yeah, just they, as a seeming middle finger to the studio, even though he seems to kind of know that it's dumb and maybe doesn't serve the purpose of his movie. But like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Just amazing. Some of the stuff I, I, we haven't even really talked too much about because we, we talked Peter to tool up as being uh, a huge sociopath the entire time the movie's going on. He's just like wildly manipulating people and fucking maybe he's going to murder this, uh, this stunt man. Um, but like there are genuine moments where he, they, he shows a good, decent amount of humanity. There's like a care that goes into lulling the audience back into comfort with some of like what the fuck is he trying to get at what exactly is there Mm -hmm. it's like sam is arguing at one point like you gotta fucking cut this kid he's like dangerous i don't understand why you keep making him do fucking stunts um but like he's like i don't know i'm just trying to work out my movie i'm trying to figure this piece out there's something about this kid that i really like but there are other moments like when bert the actual stunt person dies he's like crying when he arrives on set and he's like it's been a fucking shit day and like He's torn mm. between finishing his movie and admitting that he lost somebody and like there's some fucking travesty about it. Um, and I, I liked I genuinely appreciated those moments. He didn't just seem like he was always crazy. And I think that it led to it really helps lend itself to um, Railsback's like insanity as he continues to become more paranoid. 
of everything that Peter O'Toole's doing, there's some stuff that uh, it's clear uh, Eli's trying to fucking bring into to he's trying to help him. He's trying to get him out of the situation that he's in currently. Um, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like though at the same time we later find out that Eli got pissed at the camera guy from from like turning the camera this away when they both knew that original Bert was dying. Yeah. This is true. So I'm like, it's almost like he was crying that like, because I'm not going to get shot. to keep making my movie or we didn't get <laughs> yeah. the shot or right. Like he's not. Yeah. He's like, keep filming tell. anything. <laughs> right. Just do it. Yeah. And I, that was the other thing where I was like, after a while, I just wasn't sure because, um, fucking like Eli lies to, uh, uh, to Barbara Hershey's character. I don't fucking remember her name. Um, Barbara. I don't think the movie does. Babs. Uh, he lies to Babs. <laughs> yeah, right. And he's, he's like, oh, yeah, he's, he, Cameron's cool doing the stunt. Sorry, Bert's cool doing the stunt. Yeah. And we can wave to him from the car that he's in and that kind of shit. <laughs> so, yeah, um, he is still, like, fucking devious and does a lot of fucked up shit, Kubrick style, um, mm-hmm. making Babs cry in front of her parents <laughs> by telling her that, oops, I showed them the daily Shame. Yeah. <laughs> Roll. Yeah. Roll the, film. The moment he finished it, he's like, it's probably not a, it's not a big thing. It's definitely not a big thing. I just showed all of the nudes to your, your parents. Roll it. Uh, <laughs> walk away. <laughs> um, but yeah, I still felt like there were moments that he just did a good job of luring you into how he could be upset. Maybe he was upset because the shot wasn't actually taken, but in the moment you feel like he was upset over Bert and like, it just does a good job blurring that line. Like, I, I really fucking dig yeah. it. Peter O'Toole sells so much of this fucking movie. Yeah. The scene where Bert dies, where, you know, it's like, you don't really know what's happening at that point in the movie. Railsback is on the lamb and he's running from the cops and he's on this bridge and there's a car coming at him and he, like, you know, gets out of the way and the car, like, loses control and goes off the bridge. And then, like, <laughs> a very comedic scene where like he turns and sees O'Toole in the helicopter with like a movie crew and a camera and he sees that they're filming him and O'Toole is just staring at him like and he's chewing oh, on shit, his I thumb just saw that. he's like totally just chewing yeah it's hand. it's like one of the, the one of the most uh like funny like awkward look oh god you saw that scenes that I've seen in a long time yeah <laughs> Yeah, right before that helicopter does some sick fucking stunts yeah. in like a really yeah. narrow chasm. I was like, holy fuck. There are several times in this movie where I thought the helicopter was going to hit the camera and like almost <laughs> seems seemingly almost did. Got super close. It was yeah, just a testament to how fucking great the stunts are. Uh-huh. <laughs> it makes you concerned. <laughs> yeah, definitely the all the plane and helicopter work. Yeah. Very just, yeah, very well done. <laughs> fucking awesome. Um, well, did y'all have any other, uh, questions, closing thoughts for it? I, I do want to mention, Ryan, you talked about the scenes where they're showing the dailies. I thought it was hilarious that like, they're watching the film from that day and it is already like full of marks <laughs> it's yeah. as if it has been old and scratched from years of like passing around between projectors and moving between canisters. I'm like, what the fuck? They shot this today. They just developed this film. It should be pristine. <laughs> I love I love that like Railsback comes really close to calling it out too. Yeah, he's just yeah. like, how did they get the film developed so, so fast? fast? And I'm just like, why isn't he asking? How did he get fucked up so fast? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think that one one aspect I feel like this movie it didn't quite stick the landing of especially as bonkers as the movie was. Anyway, it could have just really tried to 
you know, just go over the top with what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like the, the core of this movie is that pretty much everybody knows that manslaughter happens, but they just want the movie to keep going. Mm-hmm. They yeah. know that Eli's bonkers and dangerous, but they just want the movie to keep going. Yeah. Like, right. You were talking about the, the guy's all pissed about his script, but then at the end of the movie, he's just like, all right, I don't know the next thing. Right. He didn't really even necessarily seem to care that much about his script either at the end of it. And I'm like, yeah, there's this whole just like hollowness of moving forward onto the next movie at the end that, that I don't feel like it got like it needed to be really, really lampshaded. And what got to me was I was thinking, I was trying to compare this to other things. And I'm like, the comedy, to me, it's a bit of like Catch-22. The mm-hmm. comedy of this sort of like dark, absurdist type of of comedy about, you know, that about a war here about movie making. And then the other, I was like, it it the ending-ish made me think of like American Psycho, sort of of the, like Eli just gets away with it. Yeah. Right. And and there's sort of this just like because or or Chinatown. That was the other one I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. And they needed that moment, like at the end of both those movies. It kind of just drives home like, yeah, the white guys, it, directors in Hollywood, they can just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna get away with it. And it's never and it doesn't matter. And now, hey Cameron, now that you're part of it, you could do whatever you want and you can get out of anything you want, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that that sort of which is like should be really like honed in on like how scary that is and the fact that they are getting away with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the movie doesn't seem to have like a conscience or a message really of what it's it's trying to go at. It's just like here's a crazy movie set and all the stuff that that's going on with that. And like it's like it's full of plot holes, right? Like throughout the whole thing. Like the you know, the cops show up on the set and they're like, what happened to this guy that died on the highway? And no tools. Like, he didn't die. There's Bert right there. And they're just like, okay. And they leave, you know, and like never once during the movie, do they ask to see Bert's identification? Uh, you know, they have a picture or honestly of, talk to anyone else. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> they have a picture of the wanted man who looks just like Bert and they walk around, sit at a table across from him, hand a picture. Hey, have you seen this guy? No. Okay. Cool. You always been leave. blonde. <laughs> yeah. They like, ne- yeah. It's, it's amazing. The, the horrible police work in this movie and just like the, there's a lot of, like dumb plot holes like that that just like we're not either we're not thought through enough or we're just like maybe he was having to edit like edit as in like change the script of the movie so fast before production because it he had, was making it less Vietnam themed and more meta mm-hmm. that maybe just there was stuff that kind of got missed or just but wasn't like at important. the end yeah. the cop is there at the like when they're rapping the cop is like there and he's like totally he's chill chill like almost he's like part of it like right yeah yeah, so he's he also is like complicit in in all of it. That's why he just sort of shrugs yeah. it off as well. And like, they give yeah, that one cop like movie. a role. <laughs> they yeah. give that one yeah. dude. He's like, just oh, like a, he gets to be a, an this extra fucking German. <laughs> Here you yeah. go. The the one thing that I did think that they wrapped up really nicely was they talked about um the the cinematographer like stopping or the camera person stopping the footage of the uh the accident um that Bert gets into. And then, like, they're sitting in that room with the FBI, like, watching the footage. And even before that, you get to see, like, what the footage looks like, where there's no... Or maybe it's after. They go into, like, that room, and they're looking in the film with Chuck, the stunt guy. And he's like, yeah, uh, this is where everything goes wrong. And, like, there's a crack in the glass that's probably the pressure from the way that it hits the water. And uh, now Bert begins to panic and, like... 
Um, and then he goes, and that's when like the camera operator stopped recording. He got too nervous and he like shut it off. And I was like, Oh, I thought like that was just on an auto timer and it would just keep going. I, I didn't know that they weren't like actively manipulating some of that. Um, the other footage though, Eli absolutely was just like, I fucking edited this and the FBI yeah. just have to watch yeah, this again and again. It. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I appreciated at least like that kind of tie in of like, yeah, okay. The story checks out as far as I know. Um, most of the stuff is there. Yeah. There's also the idea that, um, you know, movie makers are the crafters of reality. Right. And it's like, he's constantly kind of portraying himself as this God character that can do whatever he wants. It's like, God wishes he had the power that I have, like in a movie, I can like do whatever, on a, a movie screen and you know uh i think one of the scenes the rails back is like oh you edit i think it was the footage they showed to the police like oh, right. you edited that really he's well like, where, where got me out. he's like Why dude i, I could edit it where you were in the helicopter and i was in the car like i can do whatever <laughs> i fucking want how tall is king kong <laughs> yeah three foot yeah. six inches tall <laughs> um i think that's an interesting idea too that like one that directors have these god complexes but two that like it is like cinema is such a powerful tool, right? Where you can craft a reality that is strictly your own, that is separate from the real world and the effect that can have on people. Yeah. I would say there's also like another through line of, they talk about um, what is Eli's movie about when they're talking about it being an anti-war film and how like Sam is just like, you're trying to make an anti-war film and you don't have a war. Like what the fuck are you doing exactly? And, uh, Eli, it's like an interesting philosophical conversation where Eli's just like, you don't need a war to do an anti-war film because war is like a symptom of something else. And they start like hammering on trying to figure out what that root is as like Sam's writing different scenes and like, uh, trying to, to fit the movie to Eli's, um, predilections and at some point it comes through where like Railsback is just like why are you making me so paranoid all the time and Eli's like there it is there's like the root cause of all of it and it I feel like it's like too muddled in the midst of all of the other action to really be this movie making a point of like why are we so paranoid as as like a social group like Eli says it's like a social virus where like everybody catches mm-hmm. paranoia and it turns you against each other and like it sparks wars. Like paranoia is like part of that reasoning. Um, I, I didn't even factor in like greed and resources and that shit, but like it makes sense. Like, especially in the, in like 1980 when we're about to, we're in like cold war era mm-hmm. and there's like that, who's going to bomb who kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, yeah it's not what, that there's what? not a war going on. Like yeah. there's definitely an imminent threat of one. And like, you know, heaven forbid we make an anti-war film when we're not at war that we might like prevent a, a war, you know, or, or like reduce the yeah. likelihood of a, of a future war, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that the movie that they were making was an anti-war movie. I never no, really saw any of that. <laughs> that was something that was very confusing because he's like kept talking about wanting to make this preachy anti-war film. And like, he's like, I, why, why do everyone's like, why do you keep the stunt guy around? Because I want to understand the young man that I'm making this movie about. And I'm like the, the fucking actor that he's stunting for is like 50. So I don't know what, I don't know what you're doing there. Um, but like, yeah, I was like, this movie does not seem like it has an anti-war message. Well, I mean, all, but. you, you would say that, but like, again, we didn't get to see what the movie was. And when you think about any movie no, that's yeah. anti-war, that's like, you know, aside from the war movies that like Tom Hanks is mostly in, which start to, it's got uh, this borderline of aggrandizing things uh, a little too much. But like, you think about like saving private Ryan, 
um, or like, I guess, Apocalypse Now. And there's probably, I still haven't seen Apocalypse Now, so I can't fucking talk about Come it. Come on, but, John. Um, there, there are, like, you need these moments to have explosions and like these big, like things that shake you and show you how horrible it can be. And so it makes sense to me that they'd be like, we want to stage these stunts and have like this wild story of somebody uh, like uh, the, the farthest I'll go is doing a Charleston on a plane. I'm kind of just like, all right, I don't know how <laughs> anti-war that is, but like bombing the shit out of an area, crazy. showing like the beach where everybody's murdered, like all of that stuff. And the one dude being like, I wish they wouldn't use so much blood. It really cuts through the realism. Like, it's this weird contrast of like when you're making an anti-war film, you are actively trying to show how horrific war can be. Um, and I think about like any good anti-war film I've seen, it has horror in it. It has those explosions, it has that blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might look like spectacle when they shoot it, but when it comes out, it's absolutely horrifying. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's just my true. argument for it. Uh, yeah. But for every jarhead, there's a jarhead too, though. That is exactly <laughs> what Dixon and I mentioned jarhead. <laughs> At one yeah. point, I think when we were watching this, it's just like, yeah. At what point does it become that? Um, <laughs> that's when the the uh, corporations take over and the industry decides they yeah. need sequels. The stuntman too. <laughs> there is like a muddled message there of Eli trying to prove to Cameron that no one is out to get him. Mm-hmm. And he does talk about this like, oh, my anti-warm film, if I can just get one person, like get through to one person. Uh, and the whole end stunt is like staged <laughs> by Eli to make Cameron fully think he's going to be murdered. Yeah, like like not just like accidental, but like straight up murder. (laughs) And then and then it's yeah. And then like pull the thing back and be like, oh, like Eli was actually like had all these contingencies for me, like just in case, like he sees the the frogmen or whatever. And he's like, they were there the whole time. Like I was never, ever in danger. And then Eli's like, yeah, you're good. I had your back. Like, but again, it's like it's so muddled of like. What? <laughs> yeah. I think Hollywood, gets, we're there for you. It gets focused yeah. on like pulling off the trick again and again that at that point you're like, all right, this is just like the narrative release. Yeah. I'm like so we're, lost. we're yeah. fucking done. Uh yeah, because where were those frogmen for Bert, huh? Did uh yeah, did, yeah. was Bert gonna drive off that fucking bridge? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't like Bert one as much as Bert two. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, didn't have, the, we yeah. didn't have the budget for the frogmen that time. We don't have a replacement for you, Bert. We can't kill another Bert and replace him. Yeah. We're, we're tracking all the criminals on the lam right now, and there's not one within a 25-mile radius, so we're going to have to stick with you and keep you alive. Bert, if you die, somebody needs to get Barbara Hershey, put her in a bath, then put makeup on her and have her at my door by midnight, or whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> Could you imagine being the guy that has to like determine that like the level of gore is realistic for war movies? You know, it's like <sighs> you, you're talking about John about the audience member who's like, "Oh, it's too bloody." It takes away from the realism. Like, who's the guy that like is a Vietnam vet that saw his buddies bleed out? That is yeah. like the consultant on the movie. That's like, oh yeah, that's not how people bleed when they get shot right there. It's got to come out this way. And he's like having to relive all of those horrible experiences to make them look right on camera. Like that person exists. Yeah. Like that guy is real and he works in Hollywood. And that just sounds like the worst fucking job on the planet. Lieutenant Fourleaf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me of like when uh, Peter Jackson was trying to coach, uh, is it Christopher Lee, I think, on how to how yeah. to act like he'd yes. been stabbed in the lungs. <laughs> and Christopher Lee was like, 
I think I know how it sounds because I was stabbed in the fucking lungs <laughs> in like war. Oh my god! <laughs> Peter Jackson's like, whoa, <laughs> okay, I'll fucking yeah. Let you he was do like, it. that's not how it sounds when a man dies. Yeah, in his eyes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it's called. I just know the sound it makes when it kills a man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh my god! <laughs> well, my only parting yeah. comment is that uh, Barbara Hershey deserves better. I'm I haven't seen like a, a ton of Barbara Hershey work, but I'm familiar with her work with Scorsese, and she's very good. You know, she's really good in Last Temptation. And uh, John, I'm shocked that you have not seen Boxcar Bertha. Um, you should definitely it. watch that Ex- exploitation film. Directed by Scorsese, starring Barbara Hershey and uh, Kill Bill. What's his name? Um, uh, what? Who? Tarantino. Bill. Tarantino? Bill. Oh, oh, uh, David, Bill. Carradine. oh uh, David Carradine. That Carradine. guy. Yeah. Uh, but it's very well. It's you know, it's a very well executed <laughs> exploitation film, and uh, Barbara Hershey's very good in it. <laughs> Why'd you forget David Carradine? <laughs> I don't. No, know. I was like, I can't believe he choked up on David Carradine's <laughs> yeah, nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well, now we gotta leave that in i thought we we're gonna edit yeah. that part out nope. <laughs> nope it's just gonna happen now <laughs> uh yeah on that note too barbara hershey um there's a scene that was left on the cutting room floor part of the documentary i watched it shows that scene and richard rush was like in my opinion this is barbara hershey's like best moment in the movie and we had to cut it because it tested poorly with audiences. Oh. Uh, and he was like, I, I was re- Richard Rush had final cut. He said he was, he was reluctant <laughs> to do tests, but he needed it to be because everything was stacked against he him. He needed to, to be out. sure it was yeah. likable enough. Mm. So he was just like, all right, fucking let's do this. And the scene, and it's because those audiences in Richard Rush's own words were a bit too prudish about it because mm. the whole sequence was that, um, Cameron, our boy Railsback, would wander into Barbara's hotel room to have sex with her and then discover that she was sleeping with the actual main actor, Raymond. Oh, so he's a he's stuntcock. Yeah, yeah, he was a stunt, yeah, stuntcock. And so um, she was going to have, they basically, uh, Railsback would freak the fuck out, um, run downstairs, knock a bunch of shit over, run back upstairs to her room and like immediately start trying to like look through her closet and see where the dude was because he literally, they, like they run apart when he finds out. Um, and then there's this whole really fucking good sequence where Barbara Hershey acts the shit out of core dialogue about, she's like, what you're going to, you're going to sit there and call me a whore. And you're going to say that you were the person who loved me. I've known you for two fucking days. I've been his lover for six months. And just because you had me last night, you now think that I am some fucking harlot because of some shit your dad told you when you were a boy. And I was like, holy fuck, this is awesome. Mm. And the audiences were like, fuck this. Barbara Hershey is unredeemable. How could she cheat on Steve wow. Railsback with this six month lover? And I was like, that's fucked that sucks so hard and she did so well in that scene um but yeah it was just like ugh, fucking it's the only thing that apparently was left on the cutting room floor everything else is final cut that's sad yeah honestly just whatever <laughs> but now everybody knows when you watch the movie there's one scene missing and it's pretty fucking great um yeah but the you know it's it's because of barbara hershey not because of uh, rails back sorry rails back uh, yeah, sorry. if you if you have watched the stuntman, if you've gotten to this point in the episode and you haven't watched the stuntman, I don't know what you're doing. But if you have watched the stuntman, I would recommend checking out uh, Boxcar Bertha. Oh, okay, okay, there you go. 
I thought you were going to be like, I would recommend checking out the stuntman <laughs> again. <laughs> I mean, I was going to, I was like, don't swipe that. We're not there yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, well, that's a recommendation for Boxcar Bertha, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, Dixon, would you recommend The Stuntman? I guess. Um, I, I think there's a <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff in it. You know, like mm-hmm. overall, I don't think it really comes together in a cohesive way that, that works. Like I gave it a two and a half on Letterboxd. It's like it's just slightly below the line for me. Like I don't think it's a good movie overall. It's just like, the lead actor is really bad and the script is really bad. And like, like the dialogue is so poorly written that like, I think that's a big hill to, to climb it, to overcome that. But Peter O'Toole is fucking insane. And the stunt work is so good that like, it's worth watching just to see that it's well shot. It's well edited. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff that the movie does well that I think is, is worth, uh, is worth seeing. Oh yeah. Um, Ryan, would you recommend it? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm amazed that uh, you didn't remember that Railsback is in one of your favorite movies, Life Force. <gasps> yeah, I did actually know that. I did know he was in Life Force. I fucking love Life Force. Naked vampire women that invade the earth. It's oh. a great, great movie. <laughs> that is actually his probably his best role. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. Not Patrick Stewart's in that movie um, too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I would <laughs> I would recommend this. I actually already have recommended it one time already cuz uh it is it just is different. It is very different. It is really hard to pin down what it is. Peter O'Toole is fucking amazing and yeah, the stunt work is is really great. Like you you kind of just can always appreciate some good stunt work, some good movie making. Um and yeah, I think I, I'm probably going to revisit it just because I kind of want to get a grip on like the tone of mm. the movie because it kind of whips between just sheer like obvious straight comedy and then into like this fucking paranoia attempting to be dark, but it doesn't nail that either. So yeah, it's it's all over the place, but kind of in, in, an, in an interesting way, yeah. not in a bad way. Yeah. Definitely. I, I agree. And that's that's the reason that I would recommend this movie. Y'all know me. I fucking love a movie where a director has final cut. They have the ability to do whatever their vision brings to them, whether it's good or bad. Um, I like that. I don't like chill directors <laughs> cranking out random shit or doing what the studio says. I'm uh, honestly, I love this movie all the more after watching the documentary, just knowing that Richard rush had such a fucking uphill battle to make it happen. Gives me a deeper appreciation of like what it is and what it's trying to do. Um, while it doesn't succeed in a lot of places, I feel like it succeeds where it counts to really keep me gripped to it and enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason I saw it over 10 years ago and still remembered it. Like certain scenes when we were watching it, Dixon, I was like, I remember exactly how this goes just because of like how impactful that storytelling was the in-between moments were rails back talks. I didn't remember any of that shit. I remember the fucking, uh, the, the paint can scene. It was like probably the closest I've come to be like, I think I remember him trashing this room. Uh, <laughs> do you remember the part where he says, no, it's behind the counter, 41 different flavors of ice cream and all that fucking syrup. 
it's amazing. Uh, it also just has some great insults in it, just like some uh, fantastic things to remember. Um, I love anything that Eli said and the fucking what was the one uh, that you opened? Put with? this up, your royal Bavarian strawberry snatch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Joe was behind the counter. Forty-one different flavors of ice cream, and all that. Fucking syrup! And those Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse faces on the wall! I heard this hot fudge pop and I went running across the goddamn room! Hey, you are your motherfucker! I picked up this that ice cream flavor of the much royal Bavarian chocolate mist and I started running with that son of a bitch! Fucking great. Um, just also, great the cop sense. went to the hospital because the, uh, the ice cream was cold. <laughs> it's like, what That's, the yeah, fuck? Yeah, what are you yeah, going yeah. talked about that cop getting like frostbite. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, the cop had to go to the, he's, she's like, you killed him? And he's like, oh, the cop had to go to the hospital. The ice cream was really cold. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, I assumed like you hit him over the head with something. No, you just like threw some ice cream at him and he got cold. So we had to go to the him. hospital. I think he, he dunked an entire bucket of ice cream onto the, the cop's head and it molded into him. Is, is how it maybe went down? The cop was incapable of lifting the ice cream off of his head yeah. and just drying himself off. Hey, man, you ever had it's a brain freeze? Like, you try thinking where that shit's going. <laughs> Not that kind it's of like brain Looney freeze. Tunes. Yeah, yeah, like Looney Tunes shit where it goes on his head and then and they take stuck. it off and he's all ice and there's icicles and yeah uh-huh. <laughs> I, I you know what like as dumb as that story sounds like it sounds hilarious if we were to watch that that sounds like some coen brothers shit um it, i'm also just like yeah i could definitely see cops being like all right we're gonna fucking put this guy away as long as we can for doing this <laughs> oh for sure yeah no that's you you put you throw ice cream at a cop you're a fucking dead man oh uh, the movie yeah. st- the movie starts with uh, a cop firing wildly into the forest <laughs> after <Yes>. steve rails <laughs> back and i was like yeah yeah that makes uh sense <laughs> well after they encircle him around a pinball machine and, and start start and saying, then they fucking all ruin the same screen door yeah. <laughs> perpetually <laughs> they run out uh, uh great just what i need another chance to lose uh-huh. <laughs> uh well yeah uh there you have it everybody these are uh m- m- recommends it's a round table of recommends some of them uh, a little bit on the fence. You got very close to being yeah, this Dixon. Is, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this is I the closest to the fence. I know you did. I know <laughs> <Yeah>. you did. <laughs> I'm leaning against the fence, but I'm not I'm not straddling it. Let me ask the question to the listeners out there. When has Dixon ever recommended a two and a half star movie? Come on. Uh, I don't actually I don't remember. Uh, I I recommend bad like bad entertainingly oh, yeah. bad this movies like like uh, Jim Cotta is a bad movie yeah but, absolutely but I recommended what are you that. talking about that's five stars <laughs> John would give that five stars I think I gave Jim Cotta one star and a like on, but it, it absolutely <laughs> sticks the landing <laughs> well, of course he's a, oh. he's a world-class gymnast he's gonna stick the fucking landing John that's perfect also the lead actor in Jim Cotta so much more charismatic than Steve Railsback <laughs> yeah not yeah. even close you're just yeah. saying that because he walked upside down with his junk in the camera <laughs> <laughs> he was able to swing it around. That guy's junk. He knew what they wanted. Steve Rails back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, yeah, that'll do it for us here at Afterthoughts. I've been your host, John Garcia. With me, as always, Ryan King. Okay, I want, I want my thousand bucks, John. <laughs> <laughs>
We didn't agree a on a thousand bucks, bucks Ryan. No, we agreed on fifty bucks, bucks and in bucks. the gift card of a, <laughs> the gift card format of a Chili's coupon. <laughs> Five hundred dollars in Chili's coupons. I don't coupons? fucking know. No. I'm too drunk now. Let me take that again. <laughs> we disagreed on that. God damn it, Ryan. We only agreed to $50 to Chili's, and that was the contract, okay? Uh, and also joining us... Michael Dixon, I just want my rails back. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.